As a disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional from any such conditions. Hey, everybody. So this episode um, comes with a little bit of a heavy heart. Uh, My guest is, um, you know, a a very, very close friend. Uh, I've known him for over 25 years. We were college roommates. Uh, We were each in each other's weddings and um, just an awesome, awesome guy. Um, But his father passed away a couple days ago. And literally, as we were filming this episode uh, last Wednesday, um, we didn't know anything about this, Travis or or myself. And then um, it just happened a couple days later. So, um, Greg, a little tribute to your father, Al Beato, um, very, very special man. Um, touched a lot of lives. He was an art teacher up in the uh, Rochester, New York area. So, hope you enjoy this. And, uh, you know, love you, buddy. Take care. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Red Carpet Healthcare Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Molly, and I'm joined by my co-host, Travis Bazell. And tonight, we have a great, 
great guest. Good so, friend. Um, one of my best friends, yeah. college roommates. He is a um, internal medicine, sports medicine doc down in Virginia, Blacksburg, yep. Virginia. Um, I've known him for over 20 years. Uh, we've both been in each other's weddings, uh, traveled across uh, seas to Italy with our families a couple of years ago for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, it's just a great journey down um, what I would call a uh, an avenue that is not generally taken. It's kind of a change in the healthcare world and the way that it's delivered to our patients. It's it's concierge medicine. So this is concierge medicine at its finest. Yeah, no. And I mean, for me, I got to meet um, Dr. Beato um, last summer, the summer before. Um, he and his family came up. Was that 4th of July weekend? That uh, was close. Yeah. But- yeah. We did so. We did some some golfing at our country club, and so we got to spend a couple afternoons together. As I like to call him, G Doctor G. You know, I think yeah. I so just, without yeah. further ado, Doctor G Gregory Beato. Welcome, Greg. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. super excited. So I know to you're a little under the weather. Yeah, pardon the uh, little bronchitis, a little tuberculosis. I'm in a negative pressure room here in my basement. Uh, but is, that, we uh, should be fine. is that self-diagnosed? Is, is that self-diagnosed? Is it or? Like yeah. Bubble Boy from Seinfeld? Or? Yeah, I induce some sputum. I'm good. <laughs> what are you drinking, by the way? Because I think know, it, is that ginger college tea? College roommates here. I think you should have a little of the sacrament here. We're, we're drinking some uh, Barbaresco, a little Italian red. Pretty good, actually. Full disclosure, we did drop the ball in. I'm going to send him something now. I was expecting to drink uh, my gift, but instead I got Mio. Oh, that's why the McAllen jokes yeah. were coming. That's yeah, on. We set the standard high, it's too. On. It's on us. Oh, come on. All right. So moving forward. Promise? Having said yes. that, okay. I believe retroactive. You just I figured you just thought I wouldn't listen to a podcast of yours, so you, I wouldn't know that that was something I, I thought we were did. pretty. I thought we were pretty safe since yeah. you haven't listened to any. I fooled you. Uh, oh, what was that? You just flashed. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, what, oh, somebody just went to the quarter machine today. What yeah, are you he's like, what do you mean? He's like, Pil- he's like, what's <laughs> that? Uh, Phil Jackson, you're pulling on us. What, what is you, that? What's uh? What do you? No, about? he'd have, he'd have ten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you mean my? Uh, Does he have ten or eleven? My Yeti. Oh, that's a nice. Yeah, that's a nice. Yeah, what's that? I know oh. that's not your. I I know that's not your. Wedding ring? What's up? It's my high school class ring. <laughs> Slash BT baby. Yeah, where'd you, yeah, where'd you go to? A couple of years ago. It's like a participation trophy. They'll give those out for anything. Oh, it's really oh. incredible. Or winning the <laughs> ACC basketball tournament. One, one of the two. Yeah. I'm messing with you. That was super exciting. I remember watching that on TV and was totally rooting for you, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Had something to do with beating Duke probably too, but... That, yeah, I'm sure well, that was part of it because if it was Carolina, I wouldn't have probably. I would have been excited, but during the game, I would have been kind of like, eh. Well, Carolina, the thing is, we did beat Carolina in the semifinal, so I'm sure you were excited yeah. for that. I was. I was. I remember that run. I mean, but so it's been a while. Anyways, it's been a while. If you would like for me to remind you about them, let me know. <laughs> so, Jay, can we edit some of this out? But, anyways, so Greg, love having you, and. Um, you know, similar to when we did Hey Sawbones. Let's get the 30,000 foot of Greg Beato, kind of your upbringing, where you grew up, your family. Uh, I know you got a brother, you got a sister, your parents, yeah. how you, where you went to school, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll get di- deep into the weeds with kind of your medical um, journey and history. 
Yeah, great. Yeah, super happy to be here. I mean, it, I'm finally uh, excited to talk about a topic that I know about uh, a lot about myself. Um, so I'm from Rochester, New York, upstate New York. Obviously, Ryan and I met at Mercyhurst. Uh, we did athletic training and sports medicine together there. Um, I played volleyball on the on the the uh, intercollegiate team for three years and decided to go to medical school towards the end of sophomore junior year. Um, you know, got really excited about sports medicine, about athletics and fitness and wellness. Um, and so I was fortunate to go to Philadelphia osteopathic school straight from Mercyhurst. And, um, my now wife, Susan, uh, moved just over the Ben Franklin bridge in New Jersey and did physical therapy school, um, at UMDNJ and Rutgers. And so she was studying away when we were in, when I was in medical school in Philadelphia. Um, so that was good, good, really good experience. A lot of really fond things to say about uh, PCOM and the training, um, just like I do Mercyhurst. I mean, I, I think all the time about how awesome our athletic training um, curriculum experience. I mean, that, that was every day I used the orthopedics of athletic training, uh, especially when I'm at Virginia Tech. So um, shout out to Brad and, and Sue. Uh, but uh, from Philadelphia Osteopathic, I went to do internal medicine, which is a three-year residency uh, training at Christiana Care Health Systems in Delaware, Newark, Delaware. Um, basically right over, basically suburb of Philadelphia, but really big level one trauma um, center. Had a great experience there. Um, <laughs> And, and, and we're going to circle back to residency when we talk about concierge medicine a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I again, uh, really feel blessed about decisions, you know, situations that you put yourself in, but you still have to make the right decisions. And felt really great about Christiana's training. Um, all that sort of set me up to come down to Blacksburg and, and do the, the Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine and Virginia Tech <laughs> Primary Care Sports Medicine Fellowship. So that was 2008 to 2009. Um, working with Division One athletes, working at an osteopathic school, doing a lot of um, primary care sports medicine, injections, uh, radiography, OMM, um, you know, really just a great year. Again, super fortunate in my mind to be the only fellow that year. Um, you know, I, I know you feel this way. Was that way. typical or atypical? No, there's, <laughs> there's been four fellows a year, basically, oh, wow. for the so last you, 10 You had years. Like undivided attention. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a selfish thing, but when you don't have another fellow to share anything with, then you don't have to share any of that experience. I mean, I just I just could do any coverage, all the coverage. Um, I mean, obviously, we have a lot more coverage now than we did when I was a solo fellow. And I think the program has grown, has gotten more notoriety and, and, and more... Um, national coverage we're having fellows from all over the country now but um you know that was a great experience to just you know soak up as much of the the sports medicine experience because i didn't necessarily uh have a long-term goal of being a division one team physician um but after that after that year there was a place to um stay on board at virginia tech so i i joined up at virginia tech in 2009 um that was really what kept uh susan and me in blacksburg um, you know, we were very open to moving kind of anywhere in the mid Atlantic. Um, we didn't really want to go back North or go too far South. Um, 
But, you know, Virginia Tech and, and the experience that I've had in sports medicine and, and athletics at, at Virginia Tech has been has been great. It's been very uh, helpful in expanding my practice and, and keeping my feet and my hands wet with um, sports medicine and, and athletics. So I cover women's soccer. I've been with women's soccer for almost the whole 15 years I've been there. Um, and then uh, my winter coverage is men's basketball. I've, I've done a couple different stints with women's and then men's and then women's and then back to men's again uh, over the 15 years that I've been there. And as you know, I mean, basketball is probably my favorite sport. I mean, I have a, have a lot of sports. We're a big sports family, but, um, you know, we just love covering, covering basketball. Very exciting. Um, super great coaching staff on both of my teams. So, so yeah, I've been here ever since, you know, 2008, which is, you know, a long time. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, Obviously, we've had a chance to kind of catch up and talk about it. But, like, what, so what does that look like? So I know we're talking about, like, private practice and concierge. But then, like, this, you know, employment, like, through the university, like, how do the two entities work? So that that starts back at 2009 when I was interviewing for jobs. And um, I knew that I was very interested in private practice. Um, in 2009, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to do academic medicine. You know, I could have stayed at VCOM and been a full-time academic, um, professor with sports medicine and, and medical students, but I really, I like patients. I like seeing patients. I like, I'm a clinician. Um, and so part of when I got offered the, the position at Virginia tech, um, the opening was because all the other Virginia tech sports medicine team physicians are. VCOM employees, so they're medical student, medical school employees, uh, osteopathic medical school, and, and I don't know all of the schools, but the few that I know seem to always have Tuesday and Thursdays as the osteopathic manual medicine time. So typically it's a one or two hour lecture and then a one or one and a half hour lab. Um, so basically from like one to five, all of the other team physicians are at VCOM teaching. And so they never had a clinic at Virginia Tech for the student athletes Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. So that just I just fit right in there. And I have ever since because I'm, I'm still the only non-VCOM employed um, team physician at Virginia Tech. And I cover Tuesday and Thursdays and um, it just works really well. So I actually only interviewed at my current employer uh, called Medical Associates of Southwest Virginia. So so Medical Associates was founded in 1974. Um, I like to call, he's, he's our godfather. You know, you have your godfather. I have, I have my godfather, um, Dr. Yeah. Slayton, Mike Slayton. He, uh, founded medical associates in 1974. It's been independently owned ever since then. Um, and so when I interviewed with them in probably the winter of 2009, um, I knew that Tuesday, Thursdays were, you know, that was part of the deal. Um, all of the physicians got a half day off per week as part of the, just the normal week. So that, so they were all four and a half day weeks for any of the physicians at medical associates. And I think that's kind of a standard, kind of a standard thing, uh, at least in, in primary care. So part of mine was I need another half day away from medical associates. So I'm going to use my half day off and another half day from medical associates and go to Virginia Tech. Um, and so that's, they agreed. I mean, they were fairly desperate to be honest with you. I might've been able to finagle another half day, 
but but real quick, I, Greg, I, do you still get some time off per week? Uh, you, you don't have like a half day off. So, not really. Um, I've I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago at Virginia Tech during during regular out regular um, school time, I have um, sort of told them like I need a half day off a couple times a month. And so I'll take a couple Thursdays, one or two Thursdays afternoons off from Virginia Tech. And then in the summertime, when Virginia Tech is um, out of classes, we don't have nearly the student athletes. So we go on a modified schedule and then I'll often have some Thursday afternoons off. Um, Okay, good. But, you know, I kind of joke about finagling other half days off. I mean, I think one of the overwhelming theme of independent private practice is you you know if you don't work you're not getting paid you're not seeing patients you're not building your practice i'm not looking to not work and and that's a fundamental (laughs) a fundamental issue with a lot of the physician mid-level attitudes nowadays i would say it's kind of like you're employed versus self-employed right and you know this about me. Travis probably knows this a little bit better about me just because he's around on a day-to-day basis. Like even when I have like a quote unquote day off is not a day off. I am like this Friday I'm off and I'm already talking to Travis about things that we need to try to get done to, to stay ahead with, with business type stuff. So um, it yeah, just sure. meaning that you're maybe not seeing patients or for me doing surgery or for you, maybe doing Virginia tech coverage doesn't, mean in a private practice world that you're you're not working because i'm working until the moment i go to bed i mean it doesn't mean that i'm not present for my family but there's times where i'm on my computer and doing a lot of business stuff behind the scenes yep yeah and and we'll get to that when we talk about concierge medicine but so i mean that's i think it's a great segue here um like you come out of residency you interview for one job with the godfather and you you accept the job so i guess let's hear what that looked like and how long that kind of time period ran from it was 2009 right yep yep july until 7th of 2009 till 16 or 17 yep around there yep i'll go through the and dates. at the and at the and at the time when you're doing the interview and when you're accepting that position you are also you know these like have your role as a team physician with VT, right? I mean, that yeah. hasn't changed at this point. Okay, yeah. No, that was, so, I mean, so that was that. the impetus to staying in Blacksburg and even being in the lobby and being yeah. in the interview was like, look, I'm I'm a team doc at Virginia Tech. That's going to keep happening. How do, so, you know, can we work that into my real job? Yeah, and so to be honest with you, and before you jump into kind of the segue that we we're talking about, but where my mind goes is like, you know, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, being a talented physician, being down to earth, being able to have those conversations, you know, being able to like humanize certain things that you're trying to do and, and treat treating, you know, people, which I know just from, you know, hanging around with you that you're just a good human, but like that has to be a value add for the practice at that time. Cause there's like some notoriety with the team physician, you're in the community. Like it's like a branding thing, right? That yeah. has to help drive, especially like on the sports med side, internal medicine, but Hey, I've got this minuscule thing. I've got, I mean, that has to be like a big selling point, right? Like, you know, and I don't, I don't, I absolutely hundred percent. I don't know that we ever yeah. like really build it as that, but, but sure. certainly 
as I'm joining a practice, um, as I'm being seen on the sidelines at high schools, volunteering at high schools, Saturday morning bump clinics, um, uh, Virginia Tech games, um, there's no doubt that in a Blacksburg community, I mean, we're a college town. It revolves around Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech athletics. You know, a, a lot, I have a lot of current patients right now that met me 15, 10, 12, 15 years ago through the Virginia Tech connection. I mean, there's no doubt about yeah. it. And, and I think that that, that has um, played a role in me continuing at Virginia Tech. I mean, the, the time, cons- the, the time um, commitment added to my full, normal 50, 55, 60 hour pri- private practice job the time commitment of Virginia Tech is not because it pays. You know, it's yeah. it's fun. It's neat. My kids love it. It's definitely good for my practice. Um, you know, it's I'm not making ICU rounds. I'm sitting watching football, you know, soccer and, and basketball and sports clinic. But the value added of the sports medicine aspect at Virginia Tech was 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 significant. And I think my practice, you know, the people that were interviewing me, the owners at the time. You know, they they saw that. I mean, oh, he wants another half day off a week. We really need another doctor. And he's going to bring a pretty neat connection to Virginia Tech. Um, I think that was definitely an added value. I mean, when I've been looking at my numbers, so private practice, you know, I I come into to medical associates. I see a lot of really unique situations. So I was very much into the idea of private practice um, when I started, but but not concierge medicine. No, no clue about that, really, in 2009. Um, but I was very intrigued by basically two aspects, the independent private practice of medical associates. And, um, you know, I, I, I like inpatient medicine. I, I like outpatient more, but I, I like inpatient medicine. I like to be able to make an impact very quickly on a sick patient, you know, and, and I love to be able to admit my own patients. And so medical associates in 1974 has ran the hospital up until 2009 and beyond doing inpatient and outpatient practice. So, so the two aspects, you know, private practice and then being able to be a traditional internist at that time, which is extremely rare. It was rare. Then we tried to hire a traditional internist for about six years. Couldn't find anyone that wanted to do both inpatient and outpatient. Um, and now there's no one in the area that does both other than me. Uh, to admit your own patients, be the attending physician, take a little call at the hospital on your patients, but also have a full office-based practice. And I, I thought that was exciting. My office is 50 yards from the hospital. Uh, it's easy to go back and forth. That really helped me know the community, learn all the specialists, learn the hospitalists, learn the surgeons, learn the administration. Um, yeah. You know, that 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 was a really huge impact on me and and why when I, did, I had other interviews, but I said, no, this is good. That's just you know, I can combine division one sports medicine, inpatient, outpatient um, X-ray in my office, procedures in my office. I mean, it, it just it was a really it's kind of your dream really job situation. Yeah. So, Greg, obviously, when you first came out, you got into kind of more your traditional private practice model and. Um, that obviously lasted quite a while. I mean, I don't think it was quite a decade, but you can give us the timeline. But what was it that kind of made that change in your life and your your mentality to say, I need to do this differently or at least explore differently? Like, where did you first hear of concierge medicine? 
Yeah, so I started at Medical Associates in 2009, and, and I was um, super busy right away. I mean, it, it just it just it got it got real busy, and, and I always thought that's what it needed to be. You know, see as many patients in the hospital as you can, as many patients in the in the office, build those relationships. I mean, the practice was growing. I became the owner in 2013. Um, there was another physician, a couple mid levels, and 2016. Um, it was crazy. I mean, it, I was, I was starting to get overwhelmed. I felt like I wasn't giving enough time to the patients that I, you know, as much time as I wanted to. And so in 2016, so seven years, I was, I just want to interrupt real yep. quick. Did, did they feel that way too? The patients do you, do you think? Yeah. So think actually I can, that? most, most did not. I, I, I mean, okay. I, I'm sure that there were patients that even now with 30 or 45 minute Visits. They want more. They want more. But the vast majority, and I can answer that question because when I brought up the transition to MDVIP, a lot of my patients were very nervous, very scared, and said, we never felt rushed when you were in traditional practice. You know, a lot of them didn't want me to change, didn't know what it was. It was a new concept in the area. And one of the, one of the um, you know, advantages of this model is feeling, you know, like you're in, not in a rush when you're with your doctor. And so a lot of my patients said, we never felt, you never made us feel that way anyway. But you know this, you have this internal yeah, you felt ticker. It. You feel it and yeah. you're, you're, you, like you I've hate been to be in this late. Room, I got to go. I got to go whether, and I'm, gr I'm grateful that I didn't make it seem obvious. I think most doctors do the old hand on the door. Um, but so in 2016, I was starting to think, I don't know if I can survive like this, um, we had a physician that left the office, decided to go into hospitalist medicine. And, and honestly, I wasn't actively looking for other models. I, I didn't really know a whole lot. I was so busy. I didn't have time to think about other options. Um, and the uh, sales, kinda, you know, nose to the grindstone yeah. and just, I just plug away. This is what, yep. this, is what this is, right? Yep. Until I'm, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Five or whatever. Yeah. Say yes. You know, I never said no. Can you add on a patient? Can you add on a patient? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what we do. I'm not in RVUs. I'm not worrying about that. I see my numbers. I'm in private practice. I work hard. If I don't see these patients, I shouldn't get paid. That's the mentality. And I think that's the true mentality. I think that's the way it should be. Um, so MDVIP, Medical Doctors Value and Prevention. It's a, it's a, a, a national... Uh, corporation out of Boca Raton, Florida. Never heard of them before. Uh, summer of 2016, when a, a, a recruiter just showed up at my office, and I blew him off for about a month. I had no time. I don't have time for you, Tim. Thanks, but no thanks. Hey, come to this dinner. We're going to talk about this MDVIP, and it's, you know there are other other options and other models. And I said, look, I'm I'm too. I don't have time. I don't. I blew him off. And, and I'll never forget. And, he and he's said, probably like, that's exactly the reason that I need to speak with he, you. He said, he that's what he said. That. He said, doc, this is why you need me. Or I think he probably said, this is why you need us. And I, and I still blew him off. And so the, the crazy thing, and, you know, we talk about being in the right place, making the right decisions. So Susan and I were going to Napa, uh, California for our 10 year wedding anniversary end of August, 2016. And MDVIP had a national conference in Napa the same exact weekend. You know, what are the chances? 
And so I'm not a superstitious guy, but I was like, that's pretty crazy. I probably should meet up with them in Napa, let them, let them buy me a couple expensive glasses of wine, and then during, I'll go. During my 10-year anniversary, I should definitely meet up and do a work thing. Absolutely. Susan's seems, like, oh. Honestly, seems reasonable. Susan Sounds said, like they're going to buy the wine. Doesn't... We'll go. Well, so, she, so she went too. She came with, yep. She met Tim and his, awesome. his um, boss, Bill. And honestly, it was like, wow, okay. This is pretty, almost too good to be true. I was going to ask that, right? Most of these are. Like, okay, let me do some research. So I could have said thanks, but no thanks at that point. But it, it was pretty intriguing. And I also think the happenstance of it happening when I was getting killed in my office, I just had another a physician leave, prospects of getting even busier when I couldn't have gotten busier. It had kind of happened at the right time. And so I went to another an, an MDVIP conference. I met with a couple MD, established MDVIP physicians. It, I met with lawyers. I met with my office manager, you know, the whole deal. I mean, and, and it was a huge, stressful decision. I mean, this was a brand new model, never been done in Blacksburg before. There's no one else doing anything like this. Um, a lot of, ang- I don't want to say anxiety, but I, I, I wrote, worried about the patients that weren't going to sign up with me. I had about 2,500 patients before MDVIP. I opened with 250 um, but I, but I also had the, a fallback, you know, the a couple providers in my office had room for patients. And so the majority of the patients that didn't keep, stay with me and joined up, you know, they were, they had a good place to go. I felt good about, I'm not abandoning any patient. Maggie? Yeah. Dr. Maggie Belton. Um, we yeah. had a mid-level as well, um, that, that took some patients and, um, great. So, I hate to interrupt. So yep. you went from 2,500. <laughs> Correct. Yes. When you were correct. kind of at your your max of your traditional private practice, to two fifty down to two fifty. Correct. And what's your current volume? Four hundred. Okay, so when you went from twenty five hundred to two fifty, was it? This is what I'm doing. First come, first serve. Like sign up, and you're going to be one of the two fifty. Yeah. Or, did you have yeah. like a threshold? How'd that yep. work? No, basically it was the worst time of my career. So the end of 2017, the last three months were normal, high volume internal medicine practice going on 20 to 25 patients a day, rounds in the hospital, transitioning to MDVIP, basically January 1st of 2018. So those three week, three months, I was trying to manage a normal practice, high volume practice, but talk to every single patient about MDVIP. Hey, as of December uh, 27th, I'm opening my MDVIP practice. It's a membership-based practice. It's going to be uh, $1,650 a year. Um, it's currently $1,800, but it started at $1,650 a year. This is why I'm doing it. This is the value that you get for, for this, this money. Um, this is why I'm doing it. Every single patient I talk to about that, we had a MDVIP helps what, the what transition. What were some of the value adds? What were the biggest like bullet points? If you yeah, so for us. a patient, um, the the membership fee gets you a much more thorough, detailed annual physical. It's kind of like a um, executive health physical. So you get extra testing that's included in the fee. 
Um, every patient every year gets an EKG, ankle brachial indexes, a hearing screen, a vision screen, body fat composition, grip strength, pulmonary function tests, and a bunch of extra fancy blood work that is not just fancy and you know bells and whistles, but I think very impactful on cardiovascular health, advanced lipids, advanced inflammation, um, that sort of stuff. So all Apo they get. B? What's that? ApoB stuff. I Apo know you're B. a big Peter Atia guy. Listen, wow, yeah, man. good job. I'm a big ApoB guy. He just. He just, he just listened to that on a podcast. Yeah. He's not that I, smart. I, I've been Tell me something Atiyah says. 14 years now. Yeah. Dr. Atiyah is my hero. Um, so, yeah. So they get that and then a 90-minute physical with me. You know, so like the normal physical is 30 minutes. You, you, you know, you plan 30 minutes. The doctor might be in 15, 20 minutes. You know, now I, I'm not missing primer. I'm not missing preventative care. I'm not missing wellness. I'm talking about oral health and sleep and exercise and nutrition. And I have data to back it up. And so the MDVIP patient, do they want that 90 minutes? Do they use it? Do you like, I'm good now? I'm checking Especially after the first couple of years, I have a lot of patients that I'm in and out in 45 to 55 minutes. Um, The new patients and the issue, the patients that have more issues, they're taking 75 to 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, now that I've been doing it six years, I mean, most of those are not 90 minute visits anymore. Um, so but the other, the other values added from that, from that finance is, is the membership in this club. So the club gets you, um, usually same day or next day appointments. All of my appointments are 30 minutes. All of my point, all of my, um, except for the physicals that are 90. So they're all 30 minute instead of 10 or 15 minute visits. Um, patients have my cell phone for emergency. Um, they know emergent, what emergencies are. I've gotten maybe three or four inappropriate calls in six years. Um, they get access to with their traveling. Was that and, Travis Pizzell calling you? No, he doesn't pay. So he's, it's not even, he had a hangnail. Yeah. And that, that, he now that has hiccups happen. because he got a steroid injection. Dr. Biel, I got this wart. What does that mean? Yeah. Let me see. I mean, Um, so there's a lot of benefits of just having small, me having less patients gives patients more time with me, more access. Um, I'm more apt to pick up the phone and talk to someone. Um, do do they have your cell phone? Yes. They all have my cell phone. Yep. Okay. So I guess one of the questions I have, like, so I'm just like coming from like, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself or give away into the secret sauce, but like the economics behind that. So obviously you could do some quick math you know, of whatever the annual fee is per what your caseload is. Yep. Are there like additional like emergency visits or is it like I'm paying 1800, but you know, it's now it's $1,800 a year and I get to come see you as much as I want. No. Like how so does that let work? me, yeah, let me clarify. So MVVIP yeah. doesn't like the term hybrid situation, but this is really a hybrid uh, practice. It's not uh, one fee gets you everything. So the $1,800 is a membership fee gets you the physical all the other visits go through your insurance. So okay. yeah. a lot of my patients above the age of 50 or 60, they're coming in twice a year, once for their physical and six months later for like a routine labs and follow-up. The routine labs go through insurance, the, the, the visit with me, if it's Medicare or not, whatever, we go through regular insurance. So a sick visits or go any through any of the insurance. labs that don't get covered by insurance go yep. through the MD VIP fee. Now, the, the fancy so like, labs on the day of the physical go through MDVIP. 
Gotcha. They don't pay extra for that's part of the fee. But like six months later, if we're doing lipids and an A1C, insurance covers those things. You know, you just can't do them too sure. frequently. So it's a hybrid, meaning the annual fee is way less than a, a big time concierge practice. I mean, a big time concierge sure. practice at Naples, Florida. I mean, it's 10, 20 grand a year. Sure. You know, there are some that, that are 100 grand a year. Mine is a hybrid. Fee. You've we've talked a little bit about this, I think, on Hey Sawbones and Trav. I mentioned this to you um, with the uh, Life Force with Tony Robbins. Yep. Yeah. And he's doing you know some very extensive testing. Yeah, it's crazy. I think that's like your true executive physical where they're they're diving deep. Yeah, I mean they're investing into millions into you because and they're looking doing genetic stuff and, yeah. and looking at your chances of Alzheimer's and. Uh, you know, Parkinson's and your cancer risk from all these genetic testing yeah. type of results. I Are mean, you getting into any of that? Yes. Oh yeah. So his book was pretty cool. Um, you know, he talks about a bunch of stuff that's not ready in my opinion for prime time yet, but, but there's a lot in there that is ready. So I sent a patient down, she has a house down in Fort Myers and she went to and did the, did his whole wellness um, visit. Like, pretty much the high end full, full deal. Um, and the main reason was he's doing a, a scan called the clearly uh, coronary CTA, which I think is amazing. He's doing a, the uh, cancer screening blood test called the gallery G A L L E R I, which I, I, I promote and we draw in my, in my office, but that's an extra fee. I think that's a great test. He, he she had a whole body MRI, that is basically looking for big masses, aneurysm. You know, it gives you, it's not a dedicated hip or knee or, you know, it's a whole body looking for big stuff. So, um, so it's pointless. Well, it's, it, if you only look for aneurysms or masses, it's not pointless. But if you, but I, what I tell people is, please don't look at the results before you and I talk. Because there's a yeah. couple companies. I'm, I'm joking because I yeah. just order hip and knee MRIs. But yeah. No, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I get it. Gee, I'm, <laughs> you know, listen, man, this is a real world thing because, you know, um, it will be in a few months, uh, a year ago in April, my mom, I get this weird call from my aunt and she's like, you know, your mom had this weird spell this morning. She got suddenly nauseous. She was confused. Um, she said she, her head really hurt. And so, I mean, I rushed, right? right to my parents' house. And, you know, my dad, he's out of town just for the afternoon and, you know, she seems okay. And, you know, there's a, a neurosurgeon I know really well, who's at Columbia now. And I call him, I'm like, Hey man, wow. here's what's, here's what happened. Like I'm talking to her. She seems fine. Like, I don't, I don't, this is like, but I'm like having this gut, right? My, yeah. my gut. I'm like, uh, like you something's know, not right. Just take care. Yeah. She take care of my whole life. I'm like, okay, like now I need to be her advocate. And so, like we're going to the hospital, you know how it is now, especially like insurances. This is the other piece of this too. It's like, you know, so, you know, I have a $7,000 deductible and I get this, you know, my mom's giving me this pushback. Like, Oh, we're going to go to the ER. I'm going to wait for hours. If yep. it is something I'm going to die there anyways. If not, uh, I'm going to get this massive bill for them. To tell me I have a migraine and I'm yep. like, you know what? I'll make you a deal. If I'm wrong, uh, I'll cover your deductible. Uh, but I get this feeling you're going to thank me in a month from now because something's not right. And so we go, you know, and I'm in that world, right? You know, 
healthcare consulting, DME, we own a distributorship, know a lot of the, the docs. And, you know, this is, it's just a part of, you know, how that goes, right? Yeah. So um, we're talking to some people and, um, you know, the ER doc there um, at the time, I know him pretty well. And he comes out and he's talking to her and, you know, the stuff she's talking about, like, is not applicable to the last decade of my life. And hmm. he's looking at me and I'm like, uh, so yeah, man, they take her for a CT and she had an aneurysm that, that day she has the, um, coil. Uh, the, yeah. So that was actually next day mm. they did the drain, the, okay. um, the, wow. you know, for the pressure. And so yep. the next day coils and, um, Dr. Romero is his name at UPMC Hammett. Yeah. And I mean, he is, the guy is, I mean, he's wonderful. He's been great. And so she had a second procedure six months late, six months later to, um, you know, pack more coils in there. And then actually mo this Monday, um, she's going to have a, uh, flow diverter stint, I think is what they call it. Um, okay. they've had a lot of success with like long-term, um, you know, hopefully healing that area to prevent, you know, any future activity, but wow. yeah. you know, so now for me and my sisters, I have two younger sisters, you know, this is not something that insurance are interested in doing any proactive, you know, Yep. Okay, let's look at that. Is it hereditary? You know, there's a lot of data and research that shows that, yeah, there's a link for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily like tomorrow, but maybe when I'm 50 or 60, right? And so, um, you know, I'm a, you know, relatively new dad to, you know, a four-year-old and yep. um, IVF, you know, and so my wife and I are doing that again. And I told both my sisters, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm paying for it. We found a program of people. And so it's like every two years or every three years, I think. And so we get... <laughs> Uh, our first one will be sometime this spring. We'll schedule it. Um, yeah, we'll get an yeah. MRI of our our brain and just and just kind of take a peek, right? Because it's like, you know, for my mom's like for what you're talking about, she's in your practice down there, and she has a history of a stroke, a PFO. She had some other things that have gone on that this would probably have been on like your radar to say, you know what, we should probably look into this and had caught that before it ruptured. You know, there's things that can be done preventatively and yeah. that's where you know but you don't that's get a, really a lot good. of that without yeah yeah you don't get that without that time though right so like yeah. i yeah. love what you're doing because not only does it give you like i want to say like a creative pathway too, like with patients like to have those conversations otherwise well, you're you, diving deep yeah because right? you yeah, want to be able really to because you don't have the time to do that well what just get put you know Swept under the carpet, yeah. so to speak. One of That's the great. big, and this goes right back with what you're saying, Trev. I mean, one of the big um, messages from MDVIP, messages from um, another uh, 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 cardiovascular program, Dr. Bale and Dr. Donine, um, that I've sort of picked up, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of their of their teachings. You know, you can't sit around and wait for insurance to cover stuff. There are patients nope. that want to be proactive, want to do more, you know, the standard of care in primary care has not really improved in 20 years. The tests that sure. we still do now are the same that I got taught 15, 20 years ago in residency. I recertified my internal medicine boards a year or two ago. 99% of that test was the same test I took in 2008. We have not brought the new technologies from and I'm not saying every new technology, a lot of them are, are bogus and not ready, but the real advances in medicine, we have not really brought into clinical practice. And 
you know, I don't, I don't want to make judgments for how my patients want to spend their money. Some patients are not looking to just do what insurance covers. Now, the point is sure. I want to be their quarterback. I want to be their, their, you know, confidant in, in doing certain tests for good reasons and then interpreting sure. them correctly. But sitting back and waiting and not going to the ER because of a deductible or not getting a brain scan or an MRI because of a, of a deductible, I get that. That stinks. But let's work and try to find out a, a way to get, uh, to get this done or the gallery test for blood, for, you know, blood tests for, for cancer, extra cardiovascular carotid scans, extra labs. My patients are more motivated to be proactive in general, and that's very rewarding to me. Um, I think that that taking healthcare to underserved, underinsured, underfinanced patients is absolutely needed. It's noble. It's great. But I also think that there's a lot of patients that money is not as big of an obstacle that want better health in long term longevity. And that's what MDVIP and concierge medicine has allowed me to do. Spend more so, quality so time with patients that want to be more motivated and do more. Yeah. M M Greg, my head is spinning and I'm going to spit out like two or three questions here. Pump so it, let's just attack them one by one. Um, first and foremost, I don't want to put the cart before the horse and I almost think we did. So we need to define concierge medicine. So don't answer it just yet, but that, that's one of my questions. Secondly, I have a feeling as you were just talking about like some of your patients, they don't want to just do the bare minimum. One of my questions, again, don't answer it just yet is how often do you find yourself talking some of these patients out of tests that you don't find of value or maybe uh, clinically relevant at this point because maybe they haven't been proven? And then thirdly, and, and this is, I, I want to touch on this last, um, and we can spend a lot of time on this, is like, how has concierge medicine changed your life personally and professionally? So yep. question one so, was, what, yeah, is, concierge what concierge is concierge medicine? Yeah, I don't know that we have a great unified, totally agreed upon definition of concierge medicine. Um, there are a lot of terms thrown out, direct primary care, you know, boutique medicine, concierge. I think there's a lot of um, dis, uh, difference of opinion of an exact definition. In my opinion, concierge medicine is um, there's going to be a, a, a likely an annual membership fee that allows the doctor to see less patients in order to spend more time with with each patient. I don't want it to be just about access. You know, I, I don't think it's ethical or moral to charge someone just to have my cell phone number or just to to cut line, cut in line of other people. You know, the government says you can't have a high. So this is why MDBIP doesn't like the term hybrid. You're not supposed to have like, you know, you got a thousand patients, a hundred of them are the concierge patients and 900 of them are normal high volume and you see both. But you know, if the hundred people, they pay an annual fee, they get to, you know, get better care or different care than your 900. You're not supposed to do that. You're either all in one or you're all in the other. And so that's what they consider hybrid. To me, my, my term hybrid is that we do the man, annual membership fee, but we also take insurance. So concierge sure, medicine, yeah. traditional concierge medicine is a much <laughs> higher annual membership fee that a lot of times will be it for the year. 
you know, the and, patient. And they don't, and those typical providers do not take insurance. Correct. And, and, and what I would say, your classical concierge yep. model. Correct. And Greg, number one, I want to thank you because you were the one that first introduced me to concierge medicine again, back, I think in 2016, when you were exploring this. And then there was a couple guys in Erie, uh, bro- actually brothers, Harry and Jonathan is Bicky, which have a concierge practice. It's more of the classical style where mm-hmm. it's a set fee, no insurance, which is nice because you don't have those headaches with the yep. insurance companies. Yep. But I, I think your definition of a hybrid uh, to me makes sense. And and my definition of, of concierge is essentially an enhanced uh, physician patient-physician relationship where you do have direct access to them. So uh, yeah, you do have their cell phone number. You do have uh, all those benefits that you said. It shouldn't be just that, but like preferred appointments, no way next day, that kind of stuff, like the access stuff, but it's all the other stuff that goes along with it as well. And it's not necessarily to me. Um, I don't like the word like, cause I have a concierge part of my practice. It's not like you're going to get a better surgery. If you're a concierge patient versus a traditional pathway patient, you're going to get the same quality of care. It's just like all the extra stuff that comes along with that. Yeah, and, and that's and got to think... be a decision that they make, right? I mean, they have to make that decision. Same thing, like with you, like with your program. It's like these are the like conscious decisions that people need to make. And uh, G, to your point, I mean, it's not right for everybody, yeah. But to G, to your point, it's like people are looking for this, right? To yep. your point, is like people want want more, right? It's like, like giving them the ability and the access to do that, and also benefit them and you at the same time. It's a win win. Well, and, and I think in my practice, I provide a better, there is no doubt I'm providing a better medical care than I did before MDVIP. You know, I, I get you, like you're not trying harder in the operating room. <laughs> you know, you're not measuring five times right. instead of four times. Yeah, I, I, exactly. That's I'm not different. taking longer. If you <laughs> look at my average case at, at time, it's no different whatsoever. Right. And it, and it shouldn't ethically be. I, I know that I did the best that I could in a high volume practice. My patient satisfaction scores were super great. But I know that I provide a better product right now seeing less patients. I mean, it's just, it makes sense. When I get referrals or I get patients from other practices coming to my practice, they always have positives to say about me, but they have 30 minutes with me instead of 10 with the last dot. It's not fair to compare. I mean, you can't compare yeah. the two. Um, I, I, I don't want to interrupt, but I do think this is an important point to make because it was part of my, one of my questions to you was like, I think my last question, the, the personal impact. Um, so commonly in medicine, it, it like, let's just look at life, right? It's about relationships between people and it's reciprocal. What I, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? And in healthcare, I'm not saying that the patient needs to necessarily do something for the physician. That's not the point of that relationship, but there does need like the physician is a human being, right? So there needs to be an element of what is good for the physician as well, because the current state of medicine volume practices where we are on a treadmill running as fast as we can, and we're burning the gears out on this thing. It, you know, it's not it, sustainable. Patients, yeah, no. patients may not have felt that with you, no, yet, but they would eventually have yeah. felt that because you're going to come in, you're going to be quick, you're going to be terse, you're going to be frustrated, you're probably going to—I don't want to say give lesser care, but you're just—you're going to 
personally start to feel depression. It's going to trickle into your kids, your wife, your family, your yeah. you know, marriage. Your so we, we can't, yeah. it's, we, we, we can't ignore that. It's, I mean, right? it's, it's interesting though to me, cause like how I think about this and just kind of like the last, you know, 30 or 60 seconds or so, listen to you guys kind of talk about that piece of it. For me, it's like, for me, I think this is a huge benefit because I think like there's a difference between like health insurance and health care, right? If like sometimes yeah. people like get that really confused. And so for me, you know, he's talking about like, you know, the physician needs something, right? You need something. And, you know, for me, I feel like there's this sense of entitlement that because you're, uh, you know, gee, you're, uh, you know, you're a physician, I'm coming to you and I got to, it's just like, I like, I'm entitled to that. And like, you need to give me the answers and, you know, I don't care how much money you make. You need to sit here. Cause in my mind, you know, you're driving the bat mobile back to the bat cave every night and you know, you're fine. I need an extra 10 minutes. Like you said, maybe, right. you know, just, just stupid questions and stuff for, you know, not everyone, like for me, I'm wired, you know, dude, when our son was born, I mean, I bought that whole floor of those nurses. Everyone got pizza the next day. It's, you know, we'd go home. It's Christmas time. I'm sending cookie trays to that doctor's office. I can't be more grateful for the care that we got in the, the, you know, uh, just the care that he took with my wife and my son. And like, not everyone is wired like that. Right. Yeah. Like, but those little, like, it's just like, for me, it's like the gratitude for like, you know, the sacrifice that you guys make, you know, for years and years. And I mean, it's like, imagine just like going to college. I'm like, oh shit, man, now I'm over it. It's like, no, no, no. Then I decided to go for another, four, and then I did a fellowship and then I did a residency. And then you go through this whole thing and it's just like, you know, you're there to help make the best decisions to, you know, ensure my longevity, my health. And so, you know, for me, I think in this concierge medicine side of things, especially, um, gee, with what you're talking about with like these extra tests, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously I want to be around as long as I can, but it's not for me. It's for yeah. the people around me, right? My kids, you know, my parents, my sisters, my, you know, everyone's got a different situation, but it's like, you guys are bringing that to the forefront and like creating that opportunity for people that, you know, so otherwise wouldn't exist. Is like, how has this affected you? Greg? Yeah. Well, like let's you just jump to that real quick. Cause uh, I mean, I, I, I have a unique, maybe a unique take on it. I, I don't know if it's unique or not. I mean, I, I think that um, my current job, I don't work less hours. I might, I probably work more, honestly, hours yeah. wise. That's um, about my concierge program too. <laughs> I work more now, but it's better. exactly you know i don't need pizza or or chicken wings or donuts brought to me my satisfaction and what i get out of my practice is when my patients are motivated they paid extra money to come to me so they're pretty you know they're generally motivated they're generally paying extra money not just for the convenience i mean there's definitely some patients that are maybe mainly in for that, but not many once we get going, they, they want more. And so what it, what it satisfies me is when someone loses weight, someone's A1C goes down, someone, I, I catch something and they say, thank you. You know, I, I get that every day. Now the relationships are deeper. The relationships are meaningful every day. I get that back in high volume practice. It was fine. People were, were generally very, you know, Blacksburg is a very friendly area, very thankful area, but you don't have those relationships. You don't have like the, sure. the patients that, that show me your appreciation, if 
by taking your medicines, by going to the gym, by, you know, doing the right stuff, getting your this, getting your that done, you know, instead of being frustrated by non-compliance and by saying the same thing and not making any changes. So, you know, I, I think that, um, to me, that's very satisfying, gratifying, and, and that it makes me enjoy my my work more. I enjoy my work more, no doubt. Than two I two words to. you said there, Greg, that are so resonating with me right now are deeper and more meaningful. And that's when I explained my concierge program to my patients, I said it allows us to establish a much more deeper, more meaningful doctor-patient relationship yep. where, um, you know, I can, I, I'm allowed to, I don't want to say allowed, like it's almost permission, but I'm able, I'm able to spend more time with you yep. because, um, as a very busy surgeon, um, th there's, I'm not able to see all my post-operative patients. There's not enough hours in the day. It's not physically possible. And if I did, it would come with the consequence <clears throat> of probably me getting divorced, not seeing my kids, my kids yep. hating me. Right. So how, how has this affected you with that? Because yeah. I, I can't imagine, I know you as a, a physician, but I know you even better as a human being. That had to be such a big reason for why you made this decision, especially when Susan was on that trip in Napa with you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get text messages. I check my email too much. Um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit on my phone tomorrow and Friday. We're going to visit the Ghanams in Florida. Um, this decision was not about having less work at night and on the weekends. And, and that's what, you know, I, I, I was thinking we might talk about concierge medicine and private practice in medical school and the state of health right now. I think there's a, in my opinion, I think there's a misconception that concierge doctors work less or it's easier. I mean, I could have a hundred patients that would be easier, I guess, but the private practice person in me is not, I'm not, I, I, this is my calling. You know, I'm not trying to work four hours a day right now at 44 years old. So sure. I, the work life balance is good. I don't come home angry from work. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in good spirits when I come home. I don't hate going to work. I don't hate going in. Um, I feel more at Liberty to take a little bit more time off because my revenue stream is not just contingent upon me seeing patients. 50% of my revenue is from the membership fees that come in, you know, every two weeks, whether I'm there or not. Um, so that's definitely a mental business, good business decision. Um, but my, my personal work-life balance um, is not bad. It's not better. It's not worse, really, honestly. My patients have my cell phone number. I have a lot of friends that are my patients. They'll text me. You know, and I, if I don't want to text them back, I won't right away. But if it's an emergency, I will. Um, I answer emails first thing in the morning when I go to bed and everywhere in between. Uh, probably too much. And, but I think that I, you know, part of me in 2018 when I'm building this new practice was I got to make sure this works. I've got to deliver on yeah. my promises. And I probably set the bar very high. I know I respond a whole lot quicker than the than most MDVIP doctors who are 65, 70 years old, they're looking to slow their career down. Yeah, but Greg, that's like who you are too. Like yeah. I, I, I do the same thing. Like my patients, when they respond back after I respond, they're saying, wow, thank you for getting back to me so quickly. Right. Um, 
I, I want to hear the rest of that. Like, I would just say my experience has been different for the past three years where I would say my family life and, it, and I'm not working any less. It's just <laughs> different, right? So I used to do one day at clinic per week. I do surgery Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I do clinic on Thursday. We call them super Thursdays. I would see 60 to 65 patients on a Thursday, uh, new patients for surgery, usually 18 to 24. Um, I would see my post-op one patients again, same volume. Cause that was what I was doing three weeks ago. And then I would see my post-op twos. And then, uh, several years into my practice after board collection, I realized, well, I don't really need to see my post-op ones. I'll have the PA see them. I'll see them at the, the post-op two at six weeks. So then it cut it into two thirds instead of three thirds. And then, um, when I created the concierge program, it, it changed things even more. So, but I do clinic two days a week now. And I see patients what, about 20 to 25 per clinic. Yeah. I mean, but it's like oh, those wow. Fridays are every other Friday. And, and maybe my Fridays are like 15. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, they're cool. Like I think the cool. volume is still the same, but the quality of life is, but better. the time I spend is more, but the quality of life is better because instead of having to hear and, and deal with 60 people's problems yeah. and come home and just be like, Oh my God. And I needed my Fridays yeah. to just like, un, like un, unwind it. Um, I, now I come home and it's just like, and I find my concierge patients are generally happier. They're, they yeah. are generally with, with a few exceptions, but, uh, <laughs> generally 99% of them, I would say are some of my happiest patients cause they have that, uh, deeper, more meaningful, more time spent. Like we can talk yeah. about stuff outside of medicine. So I just want to thank uh, Dr. Gregory Beato for the plethora of information that he has given us thus far. Uh, we have close to two hours of content. So uh, what we decided to do is we're actually going to break this up into part one and part two. So stay tuned for uh, next week because we have part two with concierge medicine per Dr. Greg Beato coming in next week. So stay tuned in and we'll see you soon. Have a great day.